Saw Company, it is good to see your faces again. Some of you guys are tanner than you were before you came last time. Proud of you guys, that's great. Anybody get any wicked sunburns? Anybody, just a few people? I had a wicked sunburn a couple weeks ago, not a couple weeks ago, well yeah, like two weeks ago. And you could tell that like where the sun was on my face because half of my face was burnt, it was very bad. Um, well, if you're new here, my name's Joe Nealis. I'm the Saw Company director here. Um, yeah, I just wanna say thanks for coming out. If you're new, um, it can be really nerve wracking coming into a room full of people that seem to all know each other, okay? Um, I just wanna say thanks for coming out. I really hope that someone introduced himself to you even during that really awkward greeting time that we all pretend to like. Um, so I hope that you guys feel welcome here. Um, you guys just got to meet um, uh, Luke Bear. He was the tall, beautiful hair. He's got earrings, so he's pretty edgy. Okay, guys, pretty cool. Um, but yeah, we're excited to have him here. Um, man, I've had many conversations with him. Uh, one of the things that he's excited about is being able to help lead you guys in worship. And so I'm excited to be led by him. Um, guys, I think that there are uh, things that, in life that we want to be really certain of, right? A couple of those things are, what time are my classes? Okay, you don't wanna show up late, okay? Um, can I lift this weight, okay? If you're like me and you go to the gym, that might be a surprise to you. Sometimes I go to the gym, people, okay? Um, if you're like me, sometimes you can be a little overambitious. There was one time when I like, hadn't worked out in a while and I go hit the bench and I don't have anybody spot me, problem number one. And uh, I go to start lifting, the, like I have it up here and I bring it down once and I can't, I'm like, and my friend is like, feels like he's a mile away. I'm like, hey, dude, help me. He's like, oh, that's hilarious. And I'm like, but like, seriously, I'm like trying to roll it off my body. You want to be certain of that. Um, better, is my food expired? You want to make sure that you're not eating expired food, okay? I had a friend of mine in college. Um, we all lived in a, uh, in a house together. There's about five of us. And um, one of the more exciting things about living on your own is learning how to cook. Anybody learning how to cook right now because they're living on their own, okay? Mac and cheese for days or ramen noodle, okay? Um, but yeah, this guy, I mean, I would say, and not to toot my own horn, I was a pretty good cook, okay? Um, my roommate was not. And uh, one thing you should know about this guy is uh, he just kind of speeds through life. Everything for him is 100 miles an hour, okay? And uh, very, very productive. And so anything that's not his homework, he doesn't really think about, okay? Uh, which involves his food. So one time I came into the, uh, into the dorm and uh, from a weekend, I hadn't seen him in a little bit. I was like, Spencer, what's up, dude? How you doing? And uh, he's like at the table and he kind of like steps away from his food and he doesn't answer me. And I'm like, you all right, man? Like, did you have a bad week? Like, you want, do you want to talk, buddy? And, uh, and he starts to walk over to the sink and he's like, I think these sweet potatoes are bad. And I'm like, what? I walk up and in like these sweet potatoes, there was like green speckles all up inside. That's not the worst part, guys. He ate like 90% of it before he even knew, okay? So you wanna be aware of those kinds of things, right? Is my food expired, right? We, we, we want to be certain of, of things. I think that's true of other aspects in our life as well. I think that's true of our relationship with God, we wanna be certain. Maybe you're here and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, but sometimes you wonder, man, am, am, like where do I stand with God? 
Where do I stand with him? Maybe that's a question you're asking. Where do I stand with him? Am I on his good side? Am I not? I mean, can I even know? It's something you wanna be certain of. Or maybe you're here and you would consider yourself a follower of Jesus. You're a Christian. You've placed your faith in Jesus and you're honestly kind of wondering something similar. Like, man, sometimes in the summer, one of the things I've learned is summer, like when we have like a four week break, um, often what can happen is there are some of us who are like, man, those weeks where I don't have salt are really bad for my, bad for my walk with Jesus. And so you look at these last few weeks, you sit in, you're sitting in here and you're like, man, how does God actually feel about me? Like, where do I, do I still stand in, in am I still in good standing with him? I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes recently. So where, how does he feel about me? And you wanna know, am I in good standing with God? Is he frustrated? Is he annoyed with me? Is he disgusted? Is he okay with me? Can I know if I'm in good standing with God? Those are things we wanna be certain of. And so we can be certain of that. And I wanna talk about that tonight. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter eight. We have a saying around here. When we hear God's word, we hear God's voice. Um, If I wanna be certain of where I stand with God, man, there's nowhere else I'd rather go than to his word. So that's where I wanna go. And guys, this summer, um, really quick thing, uh, this summer we're going through the chap- uh, Romans chapter eight, the whole summer. Um, if there's any chapter in the Bible that I would love to camp in for a while, literally for the whole summer, it's this one. One of my favorite chapters of the entire Bible. This is where we're gonna be. And the title of it is New Life. Why? Because when you placed your faith in Jesus, you've been given a new life. A new set of truths were, were true about you. New promises are given to you to give you hope, give you meaning, give you joy. It's a new life. So what we're looking at is, man, what does this new life in Christ look like? And so we're gonna start in verse one. And before we start reading there, I wanna set the context a little bit. Paul is writing to the, uh, the church in Rome. Surprise, Romans, Rome, makes sense. Um, but he's writing to the church of Rome. Uh, and in this letter so far, Paul has been explaining in depth what the gospel is. Some of us are like, man, I know Romans well. Uh, Romans has been an incredible source of joy in my life and your devotions. Maybe you've read it before, maybe you haven't. But Romans is kind of this big, like if you wanna know what the gospel is, Romans right there. And at this point in time, all like he's, so chapter seven was just previous. And what you should know at this time is that Paul is really wrestling with his faith. He's really wrestling with, man, okay, I know that I'm free from sin, but I still sin, I struggle. And so he's kind of having this inward battle and that's where we find ourselves. So look with me, starting in verse one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. (laughs) For what the law couldn't do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So how can you know if you're in good standing with God? If you're taking notes, the first point is this, looking in the mirror. Point number one is this, looking in the mirror. So, um, A couple of years ago, it was about four years ago. It was actually the year that I met Anna. So it's actually a surprise that, anyway, you'll get it. Uh, so four years ago, um, uh, I had a friend of mine um, who wanted to kind of start his own uh, haircut business. You know where this is going. Um, and he was a mentor of mine. I looked up to him a lot. And so he was like, he looked at me, he's like, Joe, you need a haircut. A little offended, but okay, I need to get a haircut. And so um, 
His big thing was $5 on a tip. $5 on a tip, that's all he'll charge you, and then he'll give you a haircut. It'll look just as good as if you go to, you know, the salon or wherever the heck you go. And so uh, that was a deal to me because when you work at camp, you're making like $25 a week, okay? Working 24 hours a day. It's unbelievable. So anyway, I'm like, okay, whatever to get a cheap haircut, plus a little bonding experience with me and my mentor. So I sit down on a stool outside, uh, and he starts to cut my hair, and you know, he's talking to me, and things are going well, and he's like, all right, Joe, you're all done. I'm like, great. He's like, you look great. I'm like, awesome. So I'm believing. I'm like, I look pretty good. I'm, I look pretty good. So, you know, I go to the bathroom to go see, you know, what this all looks like. I'm sure I look great. And I look in the mirror, and oh my gosh, unbelievable, guys. Like, the fade was really choppy. Some of the guys know what I'm talking about. It looked really, really bad. I didn't know what to do. I'm like, great, I'm gonna have to wear hats for years now. Great. And so, um, man, I thought I looked good until I looked into the mirror. One of my favorite questions uh, that I ask people, and I probably have asked uh, this to a couple of you. One of my favorite questions to ask really anybody is this. If you were to stand before God right now, right now, and he were to ask you, man, why should I let you in? What would you say? <laughs> Thank you. What would you say? Maybe you'd say, go Bears, let's go. Um, but what would you say? And I, and I encourage you, even as I asked that question, would you maybe think about me? What would you say to that question? So I asked that question. And usually the first thing that people do is they will look in the mirror of their own lives, right? The good and the bad things that they've done. They look in the mirror and they think, I'm not... I don't look too bad. Like, I'm not as bad as, man, the other people around me. The typical answer I get is, well, I've done some good. I've done some bad. But, I mean, I'm mostly good. I haven't done some of the big, big things. I'm mostly good. See, for them, and, and maybe for you, they'd say that the standard for getting into heaven is how do I measure up against the other bad people that I know? Kind of functionally, that's kind of that's what we can think but what if the standard was actually much different than you thought it was? What if the standard wasn't necessarily how do, I, uh, how do I measure against somebody else, but that it was different? Would you wanna know? I hope you would. What's the standard? The standard for being in good standing with God, what is it? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16, God actually tells us, he says this, through his servant, he says, but as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. So God is telling us the standard isn't, how do I measure against some of the worst people in my life? The standard is, how do I measure against a holy God? Now, let me clarify what holiness is. Right, I think sometimes when we think of holiness, we probably picture like an old lady, like old lady Gladys on the organ and like some old dusty church, you know what I mean? Sometimes we can think that's what holiness is, but holiness is actually way greater than that. It's much bigger than that. Holiness is, in other words, it just means to be set apart. For God to be holy means he's set apart. He's perfect in every single way. No flaws, he never sins, he's holy. So the standard is this. How does my life measure up to God's holiness? How does my life measure up to God's standard, his perfection? That's the mirror that we face. And when we stare at this mirror, 
We kind of have an experience much like I did when I got that horrible haircut. Dang, I don't look as good as I thought I did. When we look at this mirror, you see, the mirror shows us not what we want to see about our standing with God. It shows us what we need to see. See, when we look at our lives to tell us where we stand with God, our hearts sink because we have no chance of meeting his standard. We find that the mirror of God's standard reveals to us that our lives don't look nearly as good as we thought. That we've said things we regret. I know I'm not alone. We've done things we regret. When you and I look in the mirror, when we look at our lives against God's standard of perfection, we know and we see with certainty what we wish we didn't, that we don't measure up. Our lives don't look the way we know they should. We're broken people and we know it. We're condemned before God not measuring up to his standard. We're not in good standing with him is what the scriptures say. We're not in good standing. And if I were you, I'd really hope that wasn't the end of the story. And it isn't. If you're taking notes, point number two is looking to Jesus. As in a world where we can't even live up to our own expectations, news of us not meeting God's expectations, his standard is all but absolutely defeating right? And I can't even live up to my own standards. And you're telling me that I, I will never get to heaven on my own, that I can't even meet God's standards too. It's all but totally defeating. Is there any hope for you and me to be in good standing with God? Listen to Paul's words again in verses one and two. He says this, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Boom, right there. Verse two, because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Friends, Paul says not less condemnation, but no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. But what does it mean to be condemned in the first place? No condemnation, great. Okay, should I celebrate for that? I don't know what that word means. What does it mean to be condemned? It means this. It means to be sentenced to death. It expresses complete disapproval. And Paul says, no condemnation, none, no disapproval, no sentence of death anymore. Guys, the word here, no, is emphatic. Literally, it could be translated none at all. No condemnation at all. It means, here's what it means. It means that God won't ever bring up your past again. None at all. He'll never bring up your past again. No more finger pointing, just open arms. But how? We were condemned. How do we get from this news of I'll never... I'll never have good standing with God too. Now I do. How did we get there? We have to ask that question. In verse three, Paul tells us, he being God, condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. So how can it be true that broken, guilty people like us can be in good standing with God? 
How can it be that God won't ever bring my past up again? Because Jesus took your sin on himself. He took your sin. He took your past. He absorbed it all. And he was condemned in your place. That's why we gather to worship this Jesus. Because he was condemned in your place. Have you ever considered this? That God himself, the one that we offended with our rebellion, God himself who had every reason to destroy us, every reason he was the one who crossed enemy lines. He took wrath in our place. He paid our debt. And I have a hard time imagining a greater love than that. As friend in the room, when we look in the mirror at our, at our lives, we see that we've fallen short of God's standard. But when we look at Jesus, when we look at King Jesus, we see one who is condemned by God so that we won't ever be. <laughs> Do you believe that? took your place, faced God's anger on your behalf so that you could be comforted. He absorbed our sin and paid for it so that we could say together with Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 12, verse one. That's a good verse. You should write it down real quick. Isaiah chapter 12, verse one. And it says this, I will give thanks to you, Lord, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Because of Jesus facing the anger of God on our behalf, we can be comforted. Friend, I would ask you, would you place your faith in Jesus tonight? Would you look at him for your good standing instead of looking in the mirror? You can trade right now the bad standing that you have with God and say, Jesus, you paid it all and be placed immediately into good standing with God. And for the Christian in the room, what does it practically mean? What does it practically mean for you to no longer be condemned? I love what pastor and author Ray Ortland says. He says this, in this angry world of blaming and shaming, who doesn't need a non-accusing place to stand and be safe? Isn't this true? In Jesus, there's a place for broken weary, sinful people to collapse into his arms, knowing that never once will he ever utter your past. He will never utter any accusations against you, ever. Will we feel conviction over our sin? Yes, absolutely, but we won't be condemned. See, when you sin, the devil shames you and tells you how horrible you are. He defines you by your sin. But this is not true of God. For the Christian, when you sin, God opens up his arms to you, displaying his nail-scarred hands to remind you that he already paid it all. No more pointed fingers. When you sin... God doesn't distance you and say, I don't want you here. You gotta clean yourself up first before you come near me. That's not our God. With open arms, he welcomes you. Tonight, he welcomes you, displaying his nail-scarred hands to remind you that he paid it all for you. 
He took God's anger for you so that you could only experience comfort. That's what it means. No condemnation. Do you really believe that Jesus paid it all so that you wouldn't have to? Guys, faith in Jesus means no condemnation. Faith in Jesus alone means good standing with God forever. In other words, you can wake up every morning and never wonder, am I on God's good side or am I not? Because you've placed your faith in Jesus, the same thing is true every day, no condemnation. I will never bring anything against you. I will never accuse you anymore. God, you were angry with me, but you're not anymore because of what Jesus did. I, Jesus paid for your sin on the cross so that you could have only his love and forgiveness. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not gonna tomorrow, he doesn't, just monitor you every moment of every single day. You know, he doesn't look at me and be like, oh, Joe lied yesterday. I'm gonna make his engine blow up on the way to work. How funny would that be? Ha ha. God's not waiting to pull the rug from underneath you because Jesus paid it all for you because he saw you and saw that you were worth it. You can have confidence that your good standing comes from his blood, not from your behavior. Your good standing with God comes from his blood and not your behavior. Your circumstances do not indicate to you God's heart. And after a week like last week, man, I'm thankful that's true. No condemnation. Our punishment has been paid on the cross. So, Christian in the room, maybe you're here and you find yourself kind of regularly struggling to believe this truth, that, that God isn't angry with you anymore. You struggle to believe those things. And I just wanna say that that's where I often live. I can be very critical of myself. I can live in that camp, but I'm gonna tell you what's been so helpful for me. It's being intentional to remember God's promises to me. Being intentional to do that for me, I just memorized Romans 8.1. It's super short. So when I was tempted to believe that God is against me, I would recall that verse, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I repeat it over myself as I believe it. Therefore, there's no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus, you paid it all. Okay, Jesus, you paid it all. And I recall those things. And so what if you did the same thing? Like, what if tonight you, I don't know, you wrote on a note card, you wrote out Romans 8.1, and you put it in a place that you would frequently see. Maybe it's in your car. Maybe it's on your fridge. Maybe you highlight the verse on your Bible app. You screenshot it and you make it your screensaver. What if you did that? You're not condemned. But the question I think should be for us, if nothing can take this away, why should followers of Jesus obey in the first place? Joe, you're telling me that no matter what I do, God loves me? But why should I live a good, like, why should I obey any of what Jesus says? Point number three is this, obeying Jesus. So guys, we're not condemned. No matter what we do, God loves us. That's what Paul is telling us. So why should Christians obey? Look with me in verse four. Verse four says, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Do you guys know what the law's requirement was? Jesus summarizes it really well. 
uh, in, in the book of Matthew, he says, that the, to, the, to summarize all the Old Testament laws, it's this, love God and love your neighbor. In other words, to love other people. Love God and love other people. So what is this telling us? Paul was telling us that the purpose of God clearing your guilty record is so he can usher you into a relationship with him where you're walking in obedience, that you would live your life following him and surrendering your life to the Spirit's leading, not because it makes him love you more, but because you love him and you want to honor him. Uh, Tim Keller says it best when he says this. He says, in the gospel, you don't obey, therefore you're accepted. In the gospel, you're accepted, therefore you obey. I'll say that again. In the gospel, you don't obey, therefore you're accepted, right? Like if I just do enough good things and I'm accepted, right? That's often what we think is true of how we get to heaven, how we have good standing, but that's not true. In the gospel of Jesus, it says that you're accepted, therefore you obey. Have you guys ever had a family member or a friend who's done something for you that meant a lot for you? For me, when I was a kid, it was allowing me to sit shotgun in the car. My brother would always take it, so any time that I was able to get shotgun, that was a wonderful day for me, okay? Best day ever. Uh, maybe someone paid for your coffee, maybe paid for a meal, or um, man, somebody invited you to hang out when they knew that you were having a hard time. And a lot of you actually, you guys were able to go to Salt Company Conference or to Fall Retreat because someone graciously paid for you to be there. And when those things happen, what kind of response does that invoke in you? What kind of response does that invoke? It invokes gratitude. What you wanna do is you wanna show that person who has done something good for you how much it meant. Anything that I can do to repay them, man, I just wanna show them how thankful I am. There's a level of gratitude that happens. And guys, when we recognize what Jesus has done for us on our behalf, when we recognize that God has cleared our record and loves us forever, you can't help but wanna do anything you can to show your love for him. Man, are there times when obedience is hard? Heck yeah. When I'm in line, it's in the line at like Chick-fil-A or Starbucks and like the person in front of me has got like 10,000 things that they're ordering. I'm like, let's pick it up. Let's go, ladies, come on. That's a hard time for me to obey, right? I mean, things like that. But the general direction of the life of a Christian is that you have desire to honor God with your life. You have a desire to honor God. In the gospel, we don't obey to have good standing because we already have good standing. I'm gonna say it another way. In the gospel, we don't obey to have good standing. We obey because we already have good standing. So are you in good standing with God? Maybe you're here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. And the beauty of the gospel is that you don't have to keep this race up of kind of having this list of all these good things that you're doing and maybe just hoping and hoping and hoping that that's gonna be enough to get you into heaven and you're just exhausted. But in the gospel, the race is over. In the gospel, your guilty verdict can be canceled in an instant. See, right now when you confess your guilt to God and trust his gracious sacrifice on your behalf, God clears your sin, never to hold it against you again. Don't you want that? A life where you know without a shadow of a doubt that the God of the universe looks at you and does not hurl accusations at you. That the God of the universe with nail-scarred hands 
arms spread open, says, come to me. I paid it all for you. Just come to me. Collapse into my arms. For those looking for safety and certainty, for those who have ran to the cross already, those who already are following Jesus, they know him, they're walking in relationship with him, but you're tortured by your sin and your failures. Look no further than the cross of Jesus in the empty grave. Look there again. As you kind of recall all these things that you've done and you just beat yourself up, recall what Jesus has done for you. Look to Jesus, the one who is condemned in your place, the one who took everything wrong with you and placed it onto himself and paid for it entirely. He faced God's wrath and rejection so that you can face God's tender love and delight. Would you believe that again tonight? Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that you would for anybody who is here and they're not certain where they stand. Man, for a while, they've been looking in the mirror, looking at their lives and saying, man, I've done some good things, I've done some bad things, but I don't know. God, I pray for those people. I pray that they would look to Jesus, the one who is condemned in their place, that they would trade their shame and guilt for grace. God, I pray for those who are overwhelmed by the weight of their sin, would they come to Jesus the one who paid it all for them. And God, I pray for those in the room who are following you already, Lord. I pray that you would help them to fight lies with your truth. God, I know what it's like. I know what it's like to wake up and think, man, I made these mistakes yesterday. How does God feel about me today? And I don't know. And, but God, I pray that Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, would that be an anthem that would ring true for every believer in this room? Would they recall it? Would they commit themselves to just memorizing it so that in a moment of temptation, a moment when they begin to doubt your heart for them, God, would they recall your word that says, man, Jesus paid it all. No condemnation, none at all. The blood of Jesus has bought our forgiveness. So God, I pray that as we worship, it'll be honoring to you.